Thanks for tuning in to Movie Geeks United, everybody. Some great movie talk coming up. I'm sure between the three of us, we've seen a ton of movies in the past week. But first, our featured interview for this episode is none other than director Iris Sachs. And Dean had an opportunity to speak with him recently. How was the conversation? Oh, I thought it went uh, really well. He's, uh, he's uh, of course, a very smart guy. Uh, Iris Sachs had his first breakthrough in 2005 with uh, 40 Shades of Blue, uh, which was a big hit on the indie circuit. Uh, uh, he kept on his – he's been on the show before. He was uh, in connection with a movie called Married Life, uh, something mm-hmm. I haven't seen yet, uh, in 2007. Uh, but he's kept on with uh, films like Keep Keep the Lights On and uh, the really big hit, Love is Strange, from 2014 with uh, John Lithgow and uh, Alfred Molina as uh, two uh, gay couple that are uh, displaced from their New York apartment. And uh, his newest movie is called Little Men. It's absolutely one of the great movies of the year. Uh, it stars two newcomers, Theo Taplitz, and Michael Barbieri as two uh, teenaged uh, friends that get embroiled in a battle between their parents over a uh, dress shop that Barbieri's uh, mother, played by Paulina Garcia, uh, the great Chilean actress, uh, she has the dress shop and uh, Taplet's uh, father, played by... uh, Greg Kinnear is raising the rent on the dress shop, and so this these two boys, uh, their friendship gets sort of embroiled in this in this battle over this lease of this dress shop. But uh, it's a great, great movie, uh, very economical, and uh, very, very moving. So, uh, without further delay. Here is writer-director Ira Sack. I just want to make sure of you. No, 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 please. I can't tell you how happy oh. I am that Jake has a new friend. You know, yeah, it's yeah. not easy with him and other boys. And he... Great that the two of them get along so well. You have a great kid there, but I guess you know that. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, Leonor, do you want some wine? Wait, I'm going to be going. Uh, you know, Brian and I wanted to have a talk with you about some things anyway, so... Maybe now's a good time. Oh, thank you, but I have to go back and finish some stuff at the office. Well, we just wanted a minute of your time, if that's okay. Right, Brian? Um, I have to go back, but thanks. You know, Leonore, ever since my father died, just so much has happened. You and I haven't really had a chance to talk about the store and all that stuff, and... Maybe we could just have a chat this week? Oh, I'm sorry, but this week is not good for me. I'm doing inventory, so... Next week? Could be. Uh, Thursday, I have uh, rehearsal. We're going to get out of rehearsal early. I could come by early evening. Sure. I wanted to tell you how much I adore uh, Little Men. It uh, it really uh, uh, moved me uh, great greatly and that uh it kind of reminds me of my own childhood in a lot of ways uh uh i had a friendship back then that um also ended quite abruptly uh very much 
like the friendship that's in the movie. I'm I'm curious to know uh what your own childhood was like and and uh whether any of the friendship that's that's uh, portrayed in the film is uh, is in any way autobiographical. Very much so. I mean, I think all of my films are are very personal works. Um they're not strictly autobiographical, but I try to bring as much of my own experience into them as possible. And I grew up in Memphis in the 60s and 70s. And so I was, um, when I was these kids' age, I was in Memphis and I had a best friend who was from a very different part of the city, a different background. He was um, one of two black kids in, in my class of about 20 students in a, in a private elementary school. Um, and we were, the, you know, extremely close and we were, we were best friends and, and our friendship had a different um, path than the one in the films. Um, but I think I was interested in how children are able to cross difference in friendships in a way that is much more difficult for adults. I think, I think adults tend to stay in their own corners. Mm. And that's kind of portrayed in the film too, uh, in the relationship between, uh, Paulina Garcia, who plays the shop owner. She has a shop, uh, that, um, uh, is really owned by the, uh, by, uh, Greg Kinnear. And, uh, and it's it's very much a film about class differences as well. Would you agree? I I do. I mean, I think I've made six features, and you could, in a way, describe them as all being about the role of of money and class, more specifically, in how we live our lives and the options and opportunities that we have, and and how class distinctions are often what keeps people apart. Um, though, and sometimes it's also what what makes people more interested in each other. So I think the questions, I mean, in that way, I think the film um, speaks to a lot of very timely issues uh, in our country. Why do people make choices that they make? Why do people vote the, re- the way they vote? What are, what are they not feeling like they have? And what are they seeing other people who have differently? What are the moral decisions we make um, that are compelled by our economic situation? All these questions are, I think, at the heart of the film. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, for instance, Greg Kinnear, uh, who, while being a rather self-absorbed in his own way, he's he's not he's not a villain because he's kind of caught between <laughs> between doing the right thing by his family and uh, and then uh, doing sort of the wrong thing <laughs> by. In, in a way, inadvertently kind of victimizing this uh, 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 this shop owner uh, who who's unable to pay the higher rents that he's requiring. I think I think when we set out to write the film, Mauricio Zacharias, my co-writer, and I were intentionally making it um, so you couldn't decide who was the villain and who was the victim. That in a way, um, both families are are sort of fighting for the middle class in a way they're fighting for for what they what they need um greg kinnear and jennifer ely who play the the landlord are not super rich and mm-hmm. paulina garcia who plays the immigrant um from chile she she's not just off the boat they have very similar education class 
there's a way in which they're right somewhere in the middle. And I think that makes for, for more tension in the film because you, you empathize with both sides. Mm, yeah, definitely. That's one of the things that makes it great. Um, of course, the the two lead characters uh, are are played by newcomers, uh, Theo Taplitz and uh, Michael Barbieri. Um, I want to know what the uh, audition process was like and how you found those two uh, just extraordinary actors. Yeah, I was lucky. I knew I couldn't make the film without two great kids. Um, these boys... Um, had never been in movies, but they've both been interested in acting for quite a while for, for 13 year old kids. Um, Theo, I, we found through his agent. Um, he'd never been in a movie, but he seemed to have an agent. And I work with a casting director named A.V. Kaufman and A.V. has done a lot of kids casting. Yeah. She cast the kid in the, the sixth sense. She cast the kid in searching for Bobby Fisher. She cast the kid in life of pie. So she she's really famous in her field. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. She's she's the, she's the best. And Theo um, put himself on on tape. Actually, he lives in Los Angeles, so he um, uh, read a scene uh, for the film. And when I saw it, it was like watching a documentary of this mm. this kid I'd written. It was so authentic and natural, and there was kind of he was everything that I that I imagined, and and only more specific. And mm-hmm. Michael came through an open call in New York. We we put up signs all over, including at the Lee Strasberg Institute, a theater school that's kind of the, the birth of um, method acting. And Michael had been studying there. And he came in from an open call. And as soon as he, he walked in, he was wearing these very thick kind of um, uh, glasses. And I said, take your glasses off. And, and he started reading and I and I just had never seen a kid who was so much a New Yorker. Um you really just mm. felt the history in his accent and um and he was so charismatic and, and, and I cast him very quickly. The acting teacher in the film, uh there's a scene where he's in an acting class, is actually Michael's uh real life acting teacher, uh Mauricio Bustamante, who taught him at Lee Strasberg. Mm, okay. So that's where that scene came from. That's a- that's one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it's just uh, it it uh, it feels so visceral. It feels uh, you know I mean it just injects so much life in, into the film. I have to say with Michael Barbieri, he reminds me of like a young Matt Dillon or something like that. Like he's he's uh-huh. he's got that yeah. same he's got that same sort of uh, you know just grab the film <laughs> grab the grab you by the throat kind of quality uh, that. Matt Dillon had in in his first movie, uh, uh, Over the Edge. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's just a little side note Good for comparison. me. But. Well, I was just going to tell you two things about Michael. Since we finished the film, he's already been cast in the next uh, Matthew McConaughey film, The Dark Tower. He's also um, got a part in Spider-Man, which they shot in Atlanta. So um, he's had a really good year since the film premiered at Sundance. Um, but even better than that, uh, and you'll understand why this is 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 uh, exciting for for me. Michael was accepted this summer to the LaGuardia High School for Performing Arts, and he's a freshman at the school now. Oh, that's good. That's good. I mean, that's 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 where he when wants you, to when go when in the film, see the film, right? They'll understand. <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's that's fantastic. The film is also about sort of the changing face of Brooklyn, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, because it's 
uh, it takes place in a part of Brooklyn that's becoming, as I say, more bohemian uh, earlier on in the film. And uh, yeah. but this this business that Paulina Garcia has is not really keeping up with the times. Uh, uh, do you feel like New York is is changing in a way that sort of? I mean, I'm a, I'm a former New Yorker too. Uh, I've I've lived up there for ten years, both in Manhattan and in Brooklyn. Mm. And uh, uh, do, do you feel like? Uh, New York is changing for the better or for the worse. I I I often feel like it's going it's going in places that I don't really recognize New York anymore. Some in a way. You know, I, uh, I'm not. I try not to be nostalgic as a person. I really try to be, particularly as a film director. I, I try not to cherish, um, you know, the things that were was at the same time because I feel like. That's not my job. Really, my job mm-hmm. is to be attentive to how things move, how things how things are different. Um, and I think what's happening in New York, I've shown the film in, in many different cities. Um, I think almost any block of any city you could look at and, and watch and notice the way change affects individuals. And that's really what I trying to do as a storyteller so yes, I think as a you know from if I was wearing my political hat. I can I can observe changes and and how laws have affected cities and you know what buildings go up and what buildings go down and I can have strong opinions. As a filmmaker, I'm trying to uh, in a way be more objective, to to be observant, but also to understand how that change affects individual lives. That's where the drama mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the scenes. <clears throat> Another movie that this this reminds me of, although it's a uh, you know uh, it's a older film from uh, well the the film reminds me of films from the eighties in particular uh, like a, a a movie called uh, Old Enough uh, which is by Marissa Silver uh, Joe Micklin Silver's daughter I think it's her only movie and that's a movie about female friendships uh, uh, as opposed to male I've never ones. Seen that movie. Uh, you should watch it. It's it's I've really good. I think it, it it might be a little uh, hard to hard to come by. I I think it did get a a digital release recently, so you should try and search it out. It's it's uh, it's it's quite good. Uh, I was wondering if you know. Oh, it sounds great. I was wondering some of your influences. I mean, I've been a fan of your work since since uh, since Forty Shades of Blue, uh, but I'm curious to know like some of the movies that you you love uh, or some of the filmmakers you love. Yeah. Um, well, for this film, I think one film that was really inspiring was the world of Henry Orient by mm. George Roy Hill, uh, which if you have it, I'll pick up old enough and you find the world of Henry Orient. If you haven't seen it, Oh, I've seen the world of it's Henry a great Orient. Film about, yeah. Oh, you have. Yeah. I love that film. And I think, um, you know, how the film dealt with, with ch- children and in New York and that kind of very serious movie about the joys of, and sorrows of being young that mm-hmm. both, that has the lightness of, of that for me, um, you know, numerous filmmakers have, have, have been important, but I think that I've been particularly influenced by French cinema of the last um, uh, 40, 30, 40 years. So one of my, sort of heroes I would and probably the most significant one for me is Maurice Pielat 
mm-hmm. who I think of as the, Cass- the Cassavetes of France because he's been so influential to everyone who came after him. And, um, and I'm always watching his films and showing them to my cinematographers. For this film, he made a movie called Anos Amor uh, with Sandrine Bonaire, and that film was one that my cinematographer and I looked at very, very closely. Um, I, you know, Ken Loach has been a, a big influence on me. Jean Eustache, who made a film called My Little Loves, um, which is another mm-hmm. film about childhood, was a very important filmmaker to me. Um, Bresson. I, I guess I like people who are in their work very attentive to the momentary details of life that the camera can capture. Mm-hmm. You know, that the camera is is a tool of observation and empathy. Mm, yeah. Uh as uh I've always said that uh um that movies are kind of like machines uh to uh to create uh to, to help you ex- Help you feel emotions that you wouldn't normally be feeling at that one moment. So, uh, and I, that's one of the things I think your movies do. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think what I hope is that my films give you access to the intimate interior qualities and 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 conflicts in people's lives in a way that is personally resonant. So I think often my films begin in a world that is kind of unknown to the audience, and then slowly that world becomes revealed. And, and if the film works, and I think this is what happens in, Love, in, in Little Men, is that by the end of the film, you feel really close to the five central characters, that somehow they seem, seem like people you've known all your life. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so true. Uh, I, you know, you mentioned um, uh, uh, The World of Henry Orient, and another one of my favorite films is um, uh, A Little Romance, which is also done by George Roy Hill. Um, have you ever seen that? <laughs> I, I'm going to admit, I remember when she was on, Diane Lane was on the cover of, of Time Magazine, but I've never seen the movie. i got to write myself oh my God. because I have four-year-old, I have little, I have four-year-old kids and we're, and I'm introducing them to movies and, and, and both of these I'm going to add to our, to our list. I may oh, need I to wait until you... they're six to see a little romance, but. Maybe I mean it, it's a it's a it's a wonderfully gentle movie. I think it's the best movie about romance. Period. Just uh, adult or wow. childhood romances, but um, it's it's one that uh, never fails to reduce me to tears. Um, one of oh, the things, I can't wait. One of the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna... you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. But um, you mentioned World of Henry Orient, and uh, that has a lot of wonderful scenes with just the two, uh, the two girls running through, you know, creating havoc throughout the city, and uh, uh, just running yeah. through it and and having fun and everything. And that that touches on one of my favorite. Um, features of Little Men is is those wonderful scenes with the two two boys skating through the city. Uh, can you talk about the experience of filming some of that? Well, I, I think I really wanted the film to have the cinematic uh, equivalent of childhood joy, and so I was very conscious of using um, both the image. Those are the kind of the scenes in the film where you see the most movement. Uh, a lot of the adult scenes in the film are very static and still. Um, there's a claustrophobic feeling when, when adults yes. get together. And I wanted you to feel the kind of freedom of being young. And to do that, I was also interested in using a typical film, you know, a sort of classic film score 
and I worked with the composer Dick and Hinchliffe, who I've made two films with, and he really understood that that quality. So the music, I think, is really key in that moment, and the music, to me, is both very innocent, but it's also quite sophisticated. There's like a, it, it kind of, it manages to be both complex and simple, and I, and I, that was some element that I think was very important to those scenes. I love the score. The score adds such a such a uh, uh, just kind of a life to the to the movie that uh, is uh, is not. I mean, I, I don't feel that in a lot of present day um, um, indie movies. So I was I was happy to to uh, to have that score to sort of. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It kind of it just puts it puts sound to the emotion of of uh, of the film, and uh, and I love it. Um, I'm I'm wondering. Well, you I have like a, musical scores that exist. They both are part of the movie, and they also exist on a separate plane. But they're not written just to uh, kind of uh, elaborate on the emotions. But they 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 work both sort of like counterpuntal and and separate, if that makes sense. So there's like mm-hmm. a, two lines of thought. Godard talked about music as sound plus image. You have to think of them as two different elements that somehow speak together. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering if you have a kind of a, you and your co-writer uh, on this project, but just in general, if you have a sort of a technique for writing the kind of dialogue, the kind of perfect dialogue that, that avoids any kind of movie kind of, cliche movie kind of spin i mean do you have do you have any kind of techniques do you do you read your dialogue back or do you go through rehearsals and change things or uh how does that work uh well i guess a a lot of different ways i mean i i don't rehearse at all um so i work with my actors individually we we talk so i'll meet with greg kinnear or michael barbieri or you know one of the actors from the film for for many hours and we'll we'll talk through the script but we'll never read the dialogue and i won't meet with two actors at the same time i never want them to hear another actor saying a line before we start shooting i do no formal rehearsals because i, I think it allows for the shooting to actually be the process of rehearsing and changing and discovery and i'd rather the actor not fix their idea of how they're going to respond because they lose something in making those decisions in advance. Um, I also, with dialogue, I try to avoid any time where you sense that the writer is is sort of pointing at something. Mm. I'd like things to be more uh, um, almost a series of tangential associations and that they play against and on top of each other and so if, if ever I feel the dialogue is too directed to, to kind of reveal meaning, then I, then I try to get rid of it. And I also try to use silence as a way of, of communicating, silence being one of the more profound things that cinema can convey because the camera mm-hmm. can be present while, the, while there are no words. Mm-hmm. I love uh, how your shots are very composed. There's no handheld work uh, involved. Uh, handheld uh, handheld camera work, unless it's done extremely um, uh, well um, by someone who's an expert behind the camera, I, I just find that uh, 
that handheld camera work is sort of a pet peeve of mine because a lot of people can't do it. So that's another thing that pleases me about your films is they're they're very composed shots. Usually the the camera is on sticks or anything. But do you ever yeah. do you ever have a kind of a uh, is is handheld work? Uh, do you think is it is it used as sort of a crutch? Uh, by some filmmakers, or is it something that you try to avoid? Well, I mean, any anything can be used badly, so I don't think it's inherently to handheld or not handheld. I, I, um, for me, there's an artificial quality when I seem to use handheld to 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 using it as a a kind of attempt to be closer and more real. I, I find that a little the distance and the kind of stillness that putting things on sticks can provide allows the actors to be really what's, what's, what's most prominent. I've tried um, handheld on a couple of scenes in my films and I'm always um, uncomfortable with it. It just doesn't, doesn't really work for me. Mm. Uh, I'm interested. Are, were there, were there any particular challenges in directing? Uh, Cause this is, this is the first film that I've seen of yours. There's a few that I've missed, but uh, this is the first film that I've seen of yours that has a a, a large young cast, uh, cast this young. Uh, did you find any challenges in directing the kids, or did you feel like they just grabbed the opportunity and, and no? Ran I mean, with I, it? I cast those kids. Once I had these kids, they were as good as any actor I've ever worked with. So I never assume I'm going to teach anyone anything before we start shooting, so they have to be kind of ready, camera ready. I would say. Um, I think the challenges of this film had to do with it's a very delicate story. Um, there's, there's, it's minimal in some ways. So getting um, the, the kind of suspension, tension, and, um, and the power of, of the film took a certain amount of rigor, particularly in the editing process, I think, um, to kind of what happens, I think, is when people watch the film, it, it's quite suspenseful, but you, it happens unexpectedly. And finding that suspense had a lot to do with pace and rhythm. And mm. uh, and I guess that was maybe one of the, the, the more challenging or demanding aspects of the film. Mm. Well, I know you, uh, well, you, I wanted to congratulate you on your Indie Spirit nomination for, for a screenplay and, uh, and also for Paulina Garcia, who's uh, just great in the movie as is Greg Kinnear, the whole cast, of course. Uh, uh, I noticed that on uh, IMDb that uh, you've uh, you've got a TV series in development. Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm working on a on a mini series, also writing with uh, Mauricio uh, Zacharias again, set in New York. It's based on a book called Christadora, which is. Um, uh, uh, set in, a, in a, an apartment building in, in the East Village of New York called the Cristadora, and it's a multiple character story that covers many years in New York, from the 80s to the present. And so it covers the time of um, the worst time of AIDS, a lot of uh, periods of AIDS activism, um, but also just life as an artist in New York. It's a, someone said it was a bonfire for the vanity in the age of AIDS. So it's it's a very dramatic film with lots of different um, drama and melodrama, and it's it's again about family, which is probably the things that are most interesting to me. But but really situated in 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 New York during those years. 
Uh, great do you find, book. Uh, I recommend it. It's by a writer named Tim Murphy. I'm finding that the, the I'm seeing that a lot of filmmakers are gravitating towards television right now. Uh, is is there? I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking that it's becoming just ridiculously difficult to get a film financed, and so uh, and maybe maybe. The audiences for smarter filmmakers are are gravitating towards television now. Do you do you feel similarly? Well, it's it's a lot. It's a similar issue to the one in the film, which is um, you have a, a woman, Paulina Garcia, owns a shop, which isn't really able to to maintain its economic meaning. Um, the question is: Is the shop still valuable, even if it can't pay the rent? I would say that independent film, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able uh, and fortunate enough to have found um, financiers and, and individuals who are, who are help make my films possible, and I'm, I am able to make feature films. That said, there's very limited capital, and, and there's, in television, you can actually be hired to write which is something I've never had in the feature world. And so there's the attraction of, 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 of that relationship to capitalism and, and to being paid and, and all these things. So I think it's, um, it's a very different medium. I don't think it, it can be, I don't think that television is the same is particularly not the same as an art film. Um, art films have a certain amount of ambiguity and, they have the potential for different kinds of experimentation. There is a, there's the potential for silence. All these things that are harder in, in the narrative TV form. And by the way, television is corporate just by nature. It's not in mm-hmm. so you have different yeah. demands. So, so I, I guess I'm I'm recognizing those differences and trying to balance um, my opportunities and and my my creative work. Mm. My uh, uh, co-host, uh, Jamie Duvall, who you've talked to, I think, in connection with Married Life, yep. uh, seemed to have some uh, memory of you uh, in that interview talking about possibly doing a Manson-related, uh, Charles Manson-related uh, uh, Charles Manson, uh, 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 piece. Uh, is, is this the case? I mean, well, I wrote a script with Oren Muverman uh, and I wrote a script um, based on the work of Gavin Lambert, who was a British writer who lived in L.A. in the 1960s. And we wrote a, a film script that we, we never were able to get made. We finished the script in 2008, which was kind of the worst time to try to get a, a period. Well, it was, just, it was the worst time to try for independent film. There was there was no money. It was a bad was a time for it all. As we all know. <laughs> Exactly. It was just a bad. And so I kind of had to regroup and that film has not yet been made, but, but it's, we have a great script. Uh, I I would have to find my way back to that, to that time in a way. And that's something that I might do. Do you ever think about anybody other than yourselves? Huh? Say something, Jake. Say something. One of the hardest things to realize when you're a child is that your parents are people too. You understand that? They care about things. They make mistakes. That they try to do what they think is the right thing to do. Does any of what I'm saying make any sense to you? (laughs) What's so funny, Tony? Huh? Why don't you tell me what's so funny, Tony? You think you got it in you to be an actor? 
take one rejection after another. We'll see how you react when you don't get into LaGuardia. We'll just see then. Brian. God damn it. Okay, that was Iris X. His new movie is called Little Men. It's uh, now available on DVD and digital HD. I highly recommend it. It's uh, absolutely one of the best movies of the year. If you if you haven't seen it, you you haven't seen the great movies uh, that 2016 has to offer. So uh, check it out. I did see uh, one of the great movies that I've seen this year. Uh, um, I just saw this past week. I saw 20th Century Women. Gosh, it was uh, it was so superb. I just uh, I just loved it. Uh, but I just love these kind of movies, you know. Uh, and uh, it takes place in 1979. Annette Bening is a single mother, an aging single mother in, in her 50s, with a with a uh, teenage boy played by uh, newcomer uh, Lucas Jade Zuman. And uh, they're living in the house with boarders. Um, one of them is Greta Gerwig, uh, who's sort of a punky um, uh, artist who is uh, uh, living in the house and is actually has recovered from a cancer scare uh, in her life. So um, Billy Crudup uh, is another boarder. Uh, he's sort of a... Um, meditating earth dude, you know, kind of a, um, I would say he's, he's sort of modeled after a, kind of like a character that maybe Sam Elliott would have played in the in the seventies. You know, he's even got a <laughs> sort of a Sam Elliott mustache and everything. Another character in it, uh, the boy's best friend, longtime best friend from when they were uh, younger children, uh, who's played by L Fanning and, uh, the boy, has uh has found that he wants to change this from a from a friendship to a romantic relationship but uh she's unwilling to do that because she knows that that, that will change the essence of their friendship forever so and um it, you know, some people have said that this this movie suffers from the fact that it, it doesn't really have a straight screenplay ready through line uh and i disagree with that because i believe that it's about a uh a mother who's sort of unwilling to deal with uh her son's very very male oriented uh problems that she, she just can't deal with and so that's that's the central conflict that's going on and it does it, it does come to a uh, they do come to an understanding eventually. So uh, I do believe that the the film has a great screenplay. It's uh, it's funny. It's uh, it's extremely moving. Uh, the entire cast is great. I mean, definitely one of the ensembles of the year. Annette Bening's never been better. Same thing with Greta Gerwig uh, and Billy Crudup. I mean, they're they're just all superb. And uh, also, just to comment a little bit on the look of the movie, I think the movie has a terrific uh, bead on uh, on its time period. I mean, the the art direction, um, the costume design, uh, the choice of music. Uh, there's a lot of punk music in it, punk and new wave music. Um, uh, lots of Talking Heads, for instance, in it. Um, and uh just a, a a really 
brilliant movie. I mean, I just I just loved it. Uh, I mean, it's it's right there. It's right there at the top for me uh, with Manchester by the Sea. Oh, I I don't. And this, and this is Mike Mills, right? Mm-hmm. Mike Mills, who did yeah. uh, Beginners, and right. also on the some thumb sucker too. I mean, both really, really good movies. Um, I think we have to. I think there has to be a point where we have to say that maybe Elle Fanning has come into our own. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, this year. I mean, this is a neon demon to have both of these movies in one year. But I just think it's something needs to be said that she's no longer just Coda's sister. I mean, I think it's safe right. to say that. I think really we need. I think to she might really have surpassed Dakota Fanning now. I think she <laughs> and, has. Um, I think that's I think, what. Yeah. I mean, it's just seeing the trailer alone is. I have to say it's a. Tra- I mean, this in the trailer for Dak here, the trailers of the year. Um, I I think and. Mm. It, on that basis, but the, no, 20th Century Women looks like the, how should I say it, the movie that gets the home, the end of the year home run. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this is up for, like, every, in every category. But it really be, should be, although it's yeah. not in the discussion. I mean, Annette, Annette Bening and, and, and Greta Gerwig are, are thought to be front runners for their respective categories, but it, it's not a movie that's being talked about for best picture, best director. Best uh, in past years, this would have definitely been in there. I mean, uh, in a year <laughs> like if we were back in nineteen eighty eighty three or something, you know, this would be a movie that would be up there with you know Terms of Endearment or whatever. You know, right, uh, right. Uh, so, um, but uh, I I don't know what's going on with with, well, with I, the I pundits or whatever. But uh, it really should you know, be in the discussion more. Yeah, I, I want to see because you know I see like I look at today the New York Times has um, everyone's t- the best of list you know their ten best films and you know Moonlight's on all of them. Right. I won't lie to you, Moonlight's not on mine. I like Moonlight, but I gotta say it's overrated. It's I mean, not I'm, even in my top twenty. I it's not in my top forty. Okay, and I do have mm. a top forty. Um, but mm. it's just not there. It's not some. It's a don't get me wrong. It's a good movie. I just don't see what the, I just don't, I don't get it. I have to, I'll have to watch it again. But I watched it a couple weeks ago, and I was just like, yeah, it's good. But I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether this is just a movie that people are just lapping onto because they feel it's the right thing to do. Right. And, you know, and, I, you know, and I'll say I that think right that's now, what's it's, happening. It's a Sasha Stone movie. I mean, I'll say it right yeah. now. This is, when I see this movie, I think of Sasha Stone. And I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you I know, agree. So, well, do you think that uh I I mean Best Picture seems to be a three-way race right now, uh at least in terms of the main discussion. Uh so I guess we can discuss maybe the reality of it if we know between uh La La Land, Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight. Uh for some reason like I'm nagged thinking that Moonlight just seems a, a little too outside to win a Best Picture award you know just to, i don't know how if else to terrell, express it like, if terrell could not do it last year <laughs> with i mean carol was not my favorite movie of last year but i can re, i recognize carol as a better movie than this one uh because it, it i mean it's a lot more visual it's it's got it's, it, the performances are better. It's just it just creates an entire world that I don't feel this movie creates. Uh, you know, I, I I I find that that Moonlight kind of reminds me of like 
like a really good after school special or something like that, you know. Wow, I, mean, I, I, I you just really I mean you just brought back these flashbacks, all those after school specials with um Danny Aiello and then there's the father who's been away for twenty years. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, are you it's, saying it's, it's like the the Papa Don't Preach version of uh, Academy? Uh... <laughs> Something like that. Um, I want to love it too. too. I, I really want to. I want to love it. I mean, I like the guy's last movie better than this movie. Um, uh, um, uh, uh, oh God, Melancholy, Medicine for Melancholy. Uh, I thought was a was a better movie. It was like a date movie. Um, it's, just the the uh, it was a, a black couple on a date. Uh, that's that's what it is. And so uh, uh, I thought that that film was was much better. But uh, I don't know. I I just don't get the whole so, the whole moonlight thing. So and that leaves Manchester by the Sea and La La Land. Manchester by the Sea may very well be the best movie of the year among that trio. But right. is it too? Dreary is it too? And I'm not talking about. I'm talking about perception. I'm not talking about whether we love it or not. I'm talking about you know. It's not going to win Best Picture. (laughs) A lot. Nothing can beat La La Land. Period. That's it. And uh, and uh, as far I mean, it might win. You know, actor. It it might win screenplay. Uh, um, I'm not sure if. Uh, Manchester by the Sea is going to be going up against Moonlight for best screenplay because Moonlight is based on a uh, a play, but mm-hmm. it's, it was based on an unproduced play. So uh, so I'm not sure where the Academy falls in that uh, in terms of whether it's adapted or uh, original. Uh, Manchester is an original screenplay. So, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, Lonergan might win screenplay uh and uh certainly Affleck is the lead is the is in in the lead for best actor we, I think but we I, can't I, rule out silence though I mean silence is getting this I mean people are responding to it um I don't I just don't think it's this the year for that and I, I just don't I mean I think it's gonna I think it's gonna get uh numerous nominations but I and maybe a best picture nomination but it could, there, yeah. there's 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 no way that anything's going to beat La La Land. That's just it. <laughs> I mean, it's a movie that absolutely everybody loves. I mean, I haven't seen it yet, so don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I could go see it and go. I just well, don't get La La it. Land, but... La La Land is the kind of movie that uh, people love it so much. It's the kind of movie that if you have the slightest criticism of, they will tell you you have no soul. <laughs> Mm. It's one of it's one of those kinds of movies. Yeah, but I did have problems with it. I mean, first of all, it's right in my wheelhouse. It's a, a love of uh, it's all about Los Angeles love. Right, right. Uh, and it's about a group of people that you know I grew up with. I was one of them. You know, very passionate and uh, about uh, the the arts and very dreamy about its meaning and in their lives and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, I know those people. So um, I think the main thing that uh, is wrong with it for me is that it only has like one and a half good songs in it. And I, I say one and a half because one of them is like barely a song. It's like, it's like a verse that they repeat mm-hmm. throughout, the, <laughs> throughout the movie. Um, and then the final 
number is really, really good. And but there's some good good music in it because he's a jazz pianist. There's a lot of good music from him in it. Ryan Gosling. Um, I I like it. I like it very much, and I'm so glad that they made a true throwback uh, movie like this, and it has all the in- innocence and naivete of the, the musicals of the past. It's not very uh, imaginative in its choreography, but but the 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 it's it's kind of the musical numbers are kind of uh, subdued, almost to a point where uh, almost like a like normal normal people, uh, how they would, and we've seen this before in stuff like maybe Pennies from Heaven, or uh, even though that had a Chris Walken showstopper in it. Or or, or uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg, I think. Umbrellas of Cherbourg is, I think, yeah. a, a movie that's Which talked the about movie that is drawing a lot of com- comparisons to, especially for the end of it. And and it is the it is the best twenty minute ending I've seen this year. It's 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 one of the most emotional uh, final sequences. I will say that. Uh, uh, I mean, I was really moved by the end of the movie. Um, mm. And they, they both have lovely voices. I don't think enough people are talking about Ryan Gosling. Emma Stone is kind of overshadowing him, but he's really he's really good in it. Um, and Emma Stone has, in that final scene, uh, you know, she's singing, for the most part, to camera, just her. And uh, it's all on her face. It's It's beautifully done. It's colorful to look at it. I mean, it's nice to look at. There's an opening number. The closest it gets to a show-stopping number, they're on they're on a uh, an LA freeway stuck in traffic, like an overpass, and mm-hmm. the the entire the entire population of cars that are stuck on the road all exit their cars into a musical number. And uh, first of all, I'm looking at it thinking, my God, what a logistical nightmare. And secondly, I'm saying, how cool was that? Because you have traffic underneath. And people are looking up, and everyone's dancing on top of their cars and stuff, and thinking, "God, only in LA." <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's such a it's such a bravura sequence like that. But again, the song—I I can't tell you the first line of the song from that sequence. Um, it, they, the, and and many of the musical sequences don't build. There's not there's very little sense of elation because they don't kind of crescendo and some of the cuts are really strange. There's a cut where they jump in the pool and, and, and those camera kind of swirls around and around. I'm like, Oh cool. We're going to get like a Busby Berkeley kind of thing where the girls in the pool and the different patterns and everything. No, that was just like a transition to another scene and it feels very <laughs> awkward. Uh, but bravo for the effort, I think. Uh, and, and, and it is deeply felt that ending. So it's not a top movie for me, but people will absolutely adore it. I mean, they will clutch it to their chest like a endangered child. So mm-hmm. be careful when they say bad about it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> get ready for the hate mail. Yeah, no, but I mean, do you think this is a movie that will have a lot? I mean, we're talking right now about art house audiences and just critics. Are we? Uh, you know, who's seen it. I mean, do you think this is something that will have mass appeal? If they, uh, we were talking about this when we left the movie. Uh, I mean, it's hard not not to like it. I mean, uh, it is an audience-pleasing movie. But some people did leave early on 
because some people just can't take unmotivated singing. Uh, you know, singing that's different from what you see in like a Pitch Perfect or something. Um, right. You know, old musical type singing where they just break in a song in the middle of conversation. Uh, some people just can't take that. But for those that do stay, uh, they're going to really like it. I mean, it's a good, great, endearing kind of experience. It, you mm-hmm. can't like you feel like you're kicking a puppy. <laughs> you do you really a puppy, it. man. You're just kicking a goddamn puppy. I don't understand how in this age we're uh, we're confronted with blockbuster movies that ask us to believe in uh, suited heroes uh, <laughs> flying right. around the city. Fighting with people and and entire buildings being decimated and 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 there's no real death there and all that we're we're asked to believe all of that stuff, but yet these same people cannot believe, cannot make the uh, the jump to believe in people breaking out into song, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I, I don't I, get that. You know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm curious to see how it'll do. I think it'll do well. Uh, will it do Moulin Rouge well? I don't know. Will it do Swing Kids business? I predict, predict it's going to do the same numbers that the artist did. Uh, it'll do like 60, 70 million. Some elements of it were kind of profoundly moving to me for reasons that have nothing to do with the movie itself. I mean, I oh adore L.A. I adore L.A., and, and they spend a lot of time uh, in one sequence at the Griffith Observatory, actually in two sequences. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I visited the Griffith Observatory on my last trip there with uh, my girlfriend at the time. So that made me wistful for those moments. That has nothing to do with the movie. But the movie does romanticize L.A. There's also kind of a soft shoe uh, number um, that – Gosling and Emma Stone do uh, at Griffith Park their first number together which is lovely but it's very kind of it's charming but it's very kind of slight mm-hmm. and they're right there with the Hollywood sign and you feel like you want that moment of crescendo uh, and you don't get it the movie never once shows the Hollywood sign maybe mm-hmm. because it's too obvious I, I, I don't know but you can I, feel I appreciate that. I, I like that the, the they avoided the Hollywood sign because it is. Uh, I think it is obvious. But yeah. here's my question: Do you think? Do you do you feel like Chazelle maybe wanted to wanted to dial back and and uh, the the whole musical thing in order to just? I mean. He's obviously someone who's studied studied musicals, and, and, and he's a music student. I mean, I met him in, in uh, New York, and we talked about playing music. Um, uh, so he's he's obviously a fan of the genre, but maybe he was thinking, well, I don't want to give them, I don't want to give the audience just totally like some kind of musical like Oliver or something like that, where it's just like. <laughs> Totally, totally, uh, you know, a song after a song after a song, and uh, he just kind of wants to sort of glide them into it uh, a little bit. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I it's could... designed to be an, an, an intimate love letter to Los Angeles and the dreamers who live there. That's that's yeah. what La La Land is. 
So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I see what the movie is on its own terms. But when you open your movie with the most bravura, uh, at least from a staging standpoint, sequence, you know, you're primed to expect some more of that. <laughs> more of that. Right, right. Um, and, and, it doesn't, it, and it's also interesting how he is great at filming bands. Uh, you know, that's obvious from Whiplash, the interaction between musicians, instruments being played, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I can't think of anyone better working right now that can do that. Or, I mean, I, I can't think of anyone that has tried, really. But um, the thing that he isn't as good at is are, are the show numbers, like people singing to one another and dancing. There's, ver- there's not very dynamic uh, use of camera in, in those scenes. Which is mm-hmm. odd because in La La Land he has scenes of the bands playing and interacting, and uh, and they are dynamic, just like in Whiplash. I mm. thought it was an odd kind of thing. I I would have thought he would have brought the same level of intensity and ingenuity to the da- to the uh, song sequences, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I, everything from what you say about the movie, though. I mean, let's be honest. Of course, it's going to be a it's about one of the most beautiful cities in the world. First of all, that I mean, the city itself is like the star of the movie. From what I'm just from everything I've read and what you're telling me, and also your your description of, of your reaction to the movie is in itself a rave. Um, whether you want to admit it or not, your reaction to it is really it, it does what a movie or what any kind of art should do. Um, so it, it's definitely created an emotional reaction. That's that's a, you know. Most movies, you know, you, we go see, or most things we watch or see, don't even get it. We can't even get a decent bowel movement out of it. So this, and I'm being very serious when I say that. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not beating around the bush here. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, it's very, it's we, it, it, you're asking a lot sometimes um, for a movie to yeah. give us something, and when they do give us, it, it's, um, it, it's a flood. And and I got to from what you told me, Jamie. If I didn't if I didn't hear the whole thing, I'd say that you you really adore the movie. I adore the last twenty minutes of it. That that's uh, and I I adore elements of it throughout. But I, I do have reservations about it, which keep me from that's being fine. fully embracing of it. Some some movies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I forget what movie Pauline Kael was talking about. Uh, maybe she was she was talking about Last Tango or Godfather Two or something. Some movies you have reservations about, and it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it does not distract, distract from the uh, power of the movie. But uh, mm-hmm. this one it did for me. But it ends on a great note. So I get, I would give it a B plus. I mean, it, for me personally. Okay. Wow. Okay. B plus. So that's a Jerry. You know, right you saw, B plus pretty good. I mean, you know, B plus is yeah. you know. Hey, I, I get to I get to go I get to you know I'm gonna finish in the eighth grade I get to go to the ninth grade so I mean good. <laughs> it's, I mean you know it's, it's not an it's not an A plus which would would be on a cinema score I think mm-hmm. for most well uh, oh, oh god that's not that's a whole that's a, another can of worms it's not good cinema score <laughs> so Jesus Jerry you saw Christ. you saw Jackie you saw Jackie I what saw Jackie um, yeah I mean so when I say that Jackie is the other I mean I would have to say Jackie and 20th Century Woman just going on the basis of trailers I'd have to put those two trailers at the top oh yeah I mean just both of those trailers are hypnotic um, so the first thing I want to say about Jackie is about the music which we've talked about before about Mika Levy that's the, the composer's name yeah or Micah Le- Le- Levy Micah Levy okay yeah. 
Okay, tell me this. How much does it annoy you when you see them, you hear the music in the trailer and it's not in the final film? Doesn't that piss you off, that, you know, when it's, like, really a great score and you don't hear it in the in the movie, the finished product? Is that the I mean, case in this? No, it's not the case. This is the first time in ages where all the music from the trailer is in the movie. I agree that the, I agree that the use of other music in a trailer is irritating. Music that's not in the movie, and that oh. is most trailers. So. Okay, it is most trailers. Well, that's, here, that's I mean, some, most of the, most of the time that's unavoidable because yeah. the scoring is the is the last thing that takes place, really. Right. Yeah. And uh, and many times they have to cut a trailer before the movie's finished. Yeah. Right. That's here, the, problem. the music is in the final film. That's in that for that yeah. teaser trailer, which is just so hypnotic. So you have that you already. You have that going for. Um. Yes, Natalie Portman is incredible, and I'm sure she'll be nominated, and as she deserves to be. Um. It is quite a performance. Um. Just quite a performance. But there's someone else in the movie who is not in it that much, but who is equally great. And that's John Hurt as the priest. And his performance is just otherworldly. God, I, I haven't even heard about him being that's in it. That's just it. That's just he, he's not in the trailer. I mean, you're just like, wait, where did John Hurt come from? And he just delivers the goods. And he has a way of doing this, I've noticed, in this part of his career, whether it's the proposition or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. He's not in the movie that much, but when he's in it, boy, does he make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does that here. Because Melancholia, he, that was another one. That yes, that was another one. You're absolutely right. Good yeah. call, Dean. Very good. Um, and he's good. Um, I think this is a, as with, I mean, you could actually, you could, there's, a, there's an article waiting to be written about this in Manchester by the Sea, how we process grief. Um, and this certainly, um, both of these movies, but especially this one, um, it, you, you, there are parts of the movie, I guess, just from a historical standpoint, and you, in a, in a certain generation, like my mom was like towards the end of this was crying. I mean, a lot of people were crying because just, um, it's just not not because we know what happens, but because the way it's told, the way it's framed, and everything. I mean, this movie you talk about crescendo moments. There are a couple in there towards the end, um, and I do have to attribute that to the score, um, and also the use of Camelot is brilliant. Um, JFK, one of his favorite musicals was Camelot, and they play it. There's a great sequence um, where they play this, um, and, and it's just incredibly moving. Um, but no, this was um, this was this was a good movie. I, I don't know. I think it might get lost. I think, if I'm, and it might have already gotten lost in the conversation for Oscar. But I think it's a really well made, a beautiful looking movie, um, and just gets right to the point and. and a, a couple of powerhouse performances, but especially by Natalie Portman and John Hurt. Um, Peter Sarsgaard is good as Bobby Kennedy. Greta Gerwig is very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is her. I mean, this is her year. Um, I have to say, between what you're telling me, the 20th Century Women, this, and also Maggie's Plan, she's had a really, really good year. Really um, good year. Um, Billy Crudup, and she's directed too. something too. I think. Yeah, yeah that um, comes out next year. Yeah. Okay. Um, Billy Crudup is in this as the journalist who interviews Jackie. That's the way the movie's framed for an article for um, Life magazine. I guess I want it just, he's just in the credits called the journalist. But I want to say I think it's Theodore White, but I'm not a hundred percent. That's who he's playing, really. Yeah, that's is really it? Who he's okay. Playing. So it is. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, John Carroll Lynch as LBJ. 
Um, that's a good performance. Um, and there's Richard E. Grant. Um, there's Bill Walden. Um, it, it's a, it's a really good, um, really good movie. Um, I, I strongly recommend it. Um, really powerful. Max Casella as uh, Jack Valenti. <laughs> yeah, so that okay, so so yeah, Max Casella, and then and then she called. I didn't know who it was. I'm trying to think. This is someone I know. There's someone, that, and then she goes, "Well, Mr. Valenti." I was like, "Oh my God, it's Jack Valenti!" I almost counted that out in the theater. This called out audience. I'm like, "Oh my God, it's." <laughs> there's a great. There's a great article. I mean, it's uh, it's a really lengthy article about the immediate aftermath of the assassination and what happened on that plane. I think Time, the website at Time, ran it. Uh, and it's a great great piece of journalism. I, I learned a lot about the goings-on of that plane and you know, swearing Lyndon Johnson in and how, what Jackie was doing throughout that entire ordeal uh, as they flew yeah. up to Washington. And um, uh, It's a wonderful, wonderful piece. But what was most haunting to me about it was just the image of just two hours earlier, they were walking down the steps of that plane arriving in mm-hmm. Dallas. And then two hours yeah. later, they're bringing his body up mm-hmm. on the same stairs. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I always yeah. found it incredibly moving that, that uh, she refuses to take her, her clothes off. That she, yeah. That yeah. To, change her, to change her outfit. She didn't want to wash the blood off of her face. She almost did it like she wasn't thinking about it. And after she washed the blood off her face, she was like, oh, my God, why did I do that? I should have kept it on. Mm-hmm. Then yeah. She wanted them to see what they did to him. They wanted them – she wanted them to see. I mean, so that's a very powerful part right there. That I mean, the whole stuff on the plane and everything is obviously very powerful. Um, there's a scene later on where she's talking to Bobby Kennedy. And Bobby Kennedy sort of just says, like, sort of like – what, what would be, I think, on some? They were really, you know, they had all these plans and everything. They really had all these plans, and he goes on about what they wanted to do and everything. You can just look on his face. He, doesn't even, he really didn't even have to say anything. Just the look of just disappointment and just that, hey, that this is over for us. That look of, I mean, just the look on Peter Sargent's face, it's just so telling. It's so, the emotion in it is unbelievable. Um, it's a powerful. That's a powerful scene too. But no, no, it's a, it's a good. It's a really well made movie. Um, and then, and I, then, with was, the knowledge of 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 the hope of it somehow continuing it with him, and mm-hmm. the knowledge that you know that was that wasn't to be either. Is, you, you know, makes what, you know what problem with a not a problem, but the problem with not with the movie itself. But you're watching this movie, and obviously Jackie O is no longer with us. Um, you know, Bobby's not with us, and. Ted never reached what he what he wanted to do. Never was but quite there. But then John John, John John is yeah. no longer with us, and that's very. I. It's also you know Lyndon Johnson was going to make a speech later that night. Uh, I think a different location. At some event that the president was going to attend, and his first line was going to be like, "Well, Mr. President, it looks like you survived Texas," because they oh, knew that they knew that they, there was. Uh, Vociferous uh, <clears throat> negativity about uh, Ke- mm-hmm. uh, Kennedy there. I mean that he was endangered there. So. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, I can't wait to see it. Uh, I, I saw a lot of movies this week. I've been getting a lot of <clears throat> screeners uh, 
you know, because I'm part of the Georgia uh, Film Critics Association. Uh, so um, I finally saw um, Denial, the uh, Rachel Vites, uh movie with her uh, going up against a uh, Holocaust denier played by um, Timothy Spall. Um, uh, he's he's uh, launched a a, a um, lawsuit against her, a defamation lawsuit against her, uh, and uh, she's uh, she has to travel to London because that's that's where the uh, case has to be tried, um, and um, and she's she's unable to say anything throughout the entire. Um, uh, eight-week ordeal, you know, the the trial, uh, because her lawyers, uh, two of them are uh, the the guys playing the lawyers are incredible in the movie. Uh, there's Tom Wilkinson, who's always good, and mm-hmm. uh, and then there's a, a British actor named uh, Andrew Strong, who's really terrific in the movie. Um, uh, I I was a little disappointed with. Uh, with the film in ter- uh, and just in terms of how how I guess it's 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 directed I don't know it just feels a little TV movie to me. I yeah, I didn't that's... get to see it. I figured it would be on on. You see, this is one of the things I figured it would be on cable soon, so I didn't get mm-hmm. to really. I wanted yeah. to see based on. I mean, the guy that Timothy Spall is playing, David Irving, is a really vicious vicious man. Um, and I'm embarrassed to say I've actually read a book by David Irving long ago, and I'm not proud of that fact. Um, so he's a monster, though, Irving. And I, I hear his portrayal is quite good. He's he's very good at it, but I, I really think that the, uh, the he's kind of overshadowed a little bit. And uh, maybe not quite as good as I, I was hoping he would be, you know. Mm-hmm. Um uh, I I don't know how to explain it, but I think he maybe uh, he's he's the character is known as being very charismatic, and uh, I think he kind of overplays the charismatic quality and doesn't play up a, uh, the sort of monstrous quality. Uh, uh, they just sort of rely on his on his look <laughs> to portray the 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 because he he's lost some weight and. It, it, it does make him uh, look a little less, well, shall I say, jolly than he used to look. You know, <laughs> I mean. Uh, so, uh, but uh, at any rate, I mean, it, it's not a bad movie. It's just, uh, it's not, it's not great. Uh, you know, uh, um, I, the screenplay, by the way, is by David Rabe. Um, so that that's that's an interesting point. Um, I watched uh, the Hollers. <laughs> which uh is that any good I, I wanted to love it you know i mean i i did love uh it, it it's about a family sort of gathering around as uh the mother goes in for an operation mother's played by uh um uh margo um margo martindale yeah. yeah um and uh, she's going in for an operation uh, for a brain tumor, and so it's it's sort of in a strange family. Uh, John Krasinski, who is in the lead, and he's also the director of the film, and um, uh, you've got uh, Shalto Copley, the uh, the South African actor who was in all of those uh, Neil Blomkamp movies. 
uh he's uh, uh he's one of the um he's one of the uh siblings that's uh fighting and uh you know what i really liked about it was really the performances of the two parents uh Margot Martindale and uh Richard Jenkins uh another of two two actors that just cannot do anything bad i mean they just they just can't you know you it's just not in them so uh, uh even with uh lesser material one of my big problems with this movie is it's one of these sort of comedy movies that takes too many breaks to have like a little uh, uh a little pop song playing with uh with uh you know some kind of montage playing underneath it and uh, uh i don't know too many pop songs in it you, you can overdo that and uh and this this movie does that to an extreme degree but uh i would i would really recommend it mainly for those two supporting performances i think they're terrific in it and um i watched de palma which i thought was outstanding definitely Thank one of you, the best. Yeah. Definitely one of the best movies of the year, especially if you're a especially if you're a uh, uh, film lover like ourselves. We've talked about it a lot on the show, so I won't go into it too much. But I really, I really dug it uh, quite a bit. Um, I watched Anthropoid, and um, I, although I thought, of course, that uh, Anthropoid, <clears throat> which is the story of a of a uh, the attempt uh by um Czechoslovakian um uh, I don't know, resistance fighters resistance yeah, they, to the Nazis. To, to assassinate Heinrich uh, Heydrich. Um Right. I, I, so I, it's, it was much better. I mean it was much better than I than I thought it was going to be. I mean I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a slow burn of a movie though. You gotta you've gotta have patience. You, you, but when it gets going, that gets going. I mean that's the problem, I think, was it was too slow of a burn for me. But it did, okay. it did, it did, uh, it did ratchet up, of course, in the last part of it, and uh, and uh, uh, so the last, uh, if you just know that the last thirty minutes is uh, is uh, is really where the meat of things uh, happen, then uh, then then you'll be okay with it. But. Uh, Unfortunately, I didn't really think that any of the acting was really that great, and uh, uh, there just wasn't enough for me to uh, to hang my hat on, kind of like in that first uh, hour, uh, maybe hour fifteen even. Um, but uh, but but when it does, when when the when the plot finally gets underway. I think uh I think there's some good stuff in it. So again, not a bad movie, just not one of my favorites of the year. And uh finally I saw Into the Inferno, which is uh um Werner Herzog's movie Herzog. uh about uh about um visiting uh volcanoes and uh, uh it, it this is not the first movie that he's done. Uh, uh with volcanoes as a subject matter. He did one back in the 70s. And some of the best parts of this movie are actually the clips from those movies, which I haven't seen. So, uh, so but some of, that, some of the stuff with people just, uh, you know, who are studying volcanoes, just walking, walking right next to uh, uh, literally a sea of rushing lava. I mean, literally seas of lava rushing by. 
and they're just walking right up to it. I, I recognize that, that also Herzog is doing a little camera work trickery to make them look closer a little bit than maybe they are. But still, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's you know he, he's somebody that you know every every movie that he does is is usually worth watching. I mean you know uh, maybe not some of the some of the narrative films, but uh, definitely the docs and and uh, uh, this is this is definitely a good one. I mean it's not up there with like uh, Encounters at the End of the World or Grizzly Man. But it's it's definitely got some stuff in it that uh, will you will marvel at. So, uh, and this is so the second would, documentary this year. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen the other one about the about the internet. Lo and behold, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I haven't I haven't seen Mad that Man. One. <laughs> he he is. Uh, did you guys see like the There's a Hollywood Reporter does the roundtables every year. And they uh, they they just started like posting clips of them because they don't post the whole thing like they used to because the whole thing they have a deal with Sundance TV where they they play the whole thing in January. Uh, but uh, they did a director's roundtable with Barry Jenkins, um, Oliver Stone, Denzel Washington, Damien Chazelle, and Mel Gibson. It's like an incredible panel. Uh, and Mel Gibson and Oliver Stone are like sitting side by side. Uh, and, uh, I can't wait to see the whole thing, but the clips clips of it are on uh, Hollywood Reporter's YouTube page. That's quite a lineup. I mean, that's quite a mix. I mean, oh yeah, uh-huh. yeah, that sounds good. And the Golden Globe nominations come out tomorrow, by the way. Oh, tomorrow? Okay, wow. So does that mean that next week we'll be doing our predictions of the Golden Globes? That's right. That's, that's <laughs> right, bitches. <laughs> uh, here's here's my prediction. I think the Golden Globes would be La La Land and Jackie. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Jackie, like, uh, yeah. Huh. Jackie is the dramatic winner, obviously, and and uh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, it, it's it, you know, La La Land's got that, got its award sewn up. Yeah, oh yeah, right. absolutely for the Globes, without a doubt. <laughs> well, I'm reading uh, this thing on um, Hollywood Reporter. Golden Globes are told to return gift of Tom Ford fragrance. Uh, I guess for nocturnal animals, they gave out a fragrance. Or <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just go, of course, go to the comment section where they're just calling, uh, you know, allergies. This is what happens when you have commie socialist liberals. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. The comments are just like, oh God, talk about deplorable. Um, yeah. Yeah. And the and the fragrance smells like the uh, the opening shot of the film. Well, the, the group of naked <laughs> that one. So, very acquired smell. <laughs> I saw. Oh God, that opening. Yeah. Oh, that opening. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You know what made me? Yet I haven't seen Nocturnal Animals yet. I didn't get out to the theater watch it, but um, yet. But uh, just hearing about it, it reminds me of Wild at Heart. Because if you remember Bobby Peru's intro with yeah. like a, a bunch of heavy set completely naked women like dancing and cavorting around and then Bobby Peru like walks between them. <laughs> kind of like what a great intro. Like what a great intro. Uh I saw uh, for for me, up to this point at least, the movie of the year. Which this is currently battling O. J. Main America for my favorite movie of the year. Uh 
and uh, that's Tower. Have, have either of you guys seen it? No, not no, yet. No, no. It started, and I thought, oh, okay, okay this is going to be kind of a typical recollection of that day, and and it's about the first mass shooting in in America, which mm-hmm. happened in 1966 at the top of the clock tower at the University of Texas, where uh, this guy uh, had a you know a lot of weaponry, uh, but most notably a rifle, and he just started picking students and and passersby and police officers off. In the end, he wounded over 40 people. He killed 18 of them. Uh, including the unborn child of his first victim, who uh, was eight months pregnant at the time. She survived, and her her kind of recollection drives most of the movie, um, as well as the recollections of others that survived and, and watched it unfurl that day. Um, but as the movie goes on, it's done with an, uh, rotoscope animation. So uh, what that does is, first of all, it's a practical solution because – the footage that they have of that actual day is likely too degraded and too kind of sporadic to drive a whole movie with. And you don't want like to see if you, if you just showed actors playing these situations like an like a normal movie, I don't think it would have the same impact. There wouldn't be the remove of memory, um, it, it would play too kind of immediate and movie-ish, but for some reason, the animation in this movie, it gives it a surreal quality, but also it feels like you're watching, I can't explain, it feels like you're watching something from the past. Anyway, as the movie goes along, uh, it really deepens for me. There, there are insights in the movie Um that I thought were really moving, like the the girl, you know, she was she was walking with her fiance at the time, and uh, she gets shot first, the pregnant girl, and then he goes down to see what's wrong with her, and then he gets shot and dies. Um, so she's talking about lying there in a hundred degree sun out in the open, while the shooter's still up there and nobody can help her, and overhearing people from the adjoining building saying, "We got to go help her." And hearing somebody say, no, we, we have to focus on the people that have a chance. I mean, could you imagine mm, lying wow. there dying? Um, moments like that, that that just show the humanity of of that day. And a woman that said, you know, I saw them pull an officer who had been wounded, who was stuck out in the open, they pulling him to safety. And it was at that moment that I discovered that I was a coward. And it was a, it was a realization that... I'm not one of those people that are, are willing to go out there. And she, she didn't say it in a self-condemning way. She mm-hmm. just said, it, you know, there, there are people that are brave and put their lives at risk, and there are others that self-preservation is the mode of operation. And that's the group I felt fell under, and I just realized it in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie does everything right. Uh, it, 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 actors uh, – here's what he did. He interviewed the survivors. He took the transcripts of that and had actors recite them and actors reenact them. And then he rotoscope animated that. And then just at the perfect time, he puts in the real, interv- the real interviews with the real people, uh, live action, no, no animation. 
unfiltered. It's a beautiful kind of medley of uh, uh, st- stock footage from that day, n- news footage, uh, audio, video, or, or you know, uh, film, rather. All these different elements. It works beautifully. Um, and a couple other moments that I really like. And they don't linger on the killer. They give like maybe a minute and a half to the killer at the end of it, but they what that's in the purpose of is absolutely perfect because they don't talk about um, where he came from or any, any of that stuff. They don't talk about the fact that he killed his wife and mother the night before. And, uh, they don't give him any more time than he's uh, than necessary. Um, but what I really appreciate most about it is it shows you a split second can define the rest of your life. A lot of these people put it in the back of their minds. They wanted to forget about it. And then when they see the rash of mass shootings that have happened in recent years, it all comes flooding back. Um, and they and it always lingers. That trauma always lingers. And a lot of them have uh, guilt that they couldn't save more people or they didn't try to save more people. Um, you know, this one guy says, you know, if if I had reached that officer, you know, a second earlier, maybe I could have saved his life. And he starts to sob, and he's, you know, he's saying, you know, coulda, woulda, what can I do now? And, you know, it's it's very haunting, and it doesn't overplay the relevance to today's events because it doesn't have to. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's right there. Mm. It's good and, too that and they it, didn't it, uh, focus in. It's good that they didn't focus in on the the killer very much because we've already seen. I mean, if you're a movie lover, you've seen uh, you've seen Targets by uh, um, by Peter Bogdanovich, which is not really a, a, a point by point recreation of this this thing, but uh, uh, but it hits the major points and mo- mostly focuses in on. Uh, the killer, um, right? Uh, Charles Whitman, um, uh, who, who that, Tim O'Kelly in that movie is not playing Charles Whitman, just to be clear. And uh, and then there's also the um, Kurt Russell TV That's movie. That's what I was going to bring up. Yeah, I remember yeah. watching that um, too. The Deadly um, Tower, is what yeah. it's called. And uh and uh so so that's uh that's a more straightforward um adaptation of the piece. I, but, uh, there's there's a moment there's a moment in the movie where uh, there was a news station that heard that there was a gunshot and they went there and they started broadcasting live. First of all, this was unheard of. Like nobody knew what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. They said, Why the hell would somebody be shooting from the top of a tower? It was not a part of you know, the everyday life like we've come to expect today. It was alien to them. So uh, they they start reporting live from the scene, and it's carried throughout, and they need some extra help. So this retired retired newsman comes into the studio to help, um, who had just retired from the station earlier. And uh, there's a scene where they're reading the names of the victims, um, and the retired newsman says, could you – Repeat that. Could you read those again? I think one of those was my grandson. And it's oh my god, wow. it's heartbreaking. I mean, there's so many like little human moments in this movie that that are that just punch me in the gut 
like nothing else I've seen this year. And I was shocked well, because I, I thought that I thought it would be neat to see, but I didn't expect it to be such a kind of emotional, cathartic experience. Right, right. Well, not to take away the thunder of that, but I guess somewhat re- related to that issue because that's like the first mass shooting. But uh, speaking of guns, though, just the and that's obviously um, will always be a huge issue in this country. I, I think for for the rest of our lives. Um, is Miss Sloan which I saw yesterday, right. um, and that's about, let me put it to you like this. Do you want to know why they hate Washington? This is why they hate Washington, okay? Just the lobbyists. I mean, oh, my God. It was like I kept thinking during this movie, no wonder everyone hates this city so much and the people and politicians. They're just so slimy. Um, but, you know, you're watching it's Jessica uh, Chastain, and, and I have to say, this is I don't know what the conversation is about this movie, but I could imagine she could get a golden globe for this. I don't think that's out of the question, uh, but she plays this pa- Washington power broker, super lobbyist, who goes to switches, um, goes to a different lobbying firm to take up the case at anti-gun. Um, she's working on the anti-gun thing, but she goes to work for the pro, you know pro-gun rights, and you know it's all about the gun issues. It reminds me a lot. I mean, as far as political movies go, kind of like the Ides of March. Um, the George Clooney one with Ryan Gosling. God, Ryan Gosling's getting a lot of airtime in tonight's show. Um, but he's, it reminds me of that. It is a very smart film. It's directed by John Madden. Um, it's got a great cast, John Lithgow, Allison Pill, um, a lot of, a lot of, uh, Mark Strong. Um, it's, 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 it's a very, it's a good movie. But if you, if you ever want to see why they hate, why people hate lobbyists, this is a movie for you. This is, I guess, for you. Um, you know, but yeah, K Street. <laughs> that's a. I was going to mention that as a as that's a uh, for people who don't know what K Street is. It's a HBO show that uh, Steven Soderbergh did a few years ago with uh, with uh, Mary Madeline and and uh, James Carville. Twelve years ago, I think. Twelve twelve years ago, I think it was. Um, yeah, I, I think mean, that's it, was, a it, it seems great recent. Show. It's just how. Fast times goes by, but no, it was like a twelve or thirteen years ago. It would remember that was supposed to be a big deal. I don't did it ever. I don't. I only watched a couple episodes. I really couldn't get into it after a while. Um, I watched it all and I loved it. Okay, all right. I remember Very a friend good. of mine said, "Who wants to watch a show about lobbyists?" So I was like, all right, "Well, this is this is the bread and butter of this town." I mean, you know, um, <laughs> you know, no, I, I do, no, I, I mean, I remember watching. I don't think, you know, I, I gotta say, I watched like I think the first three or four episodes, and then I sort of like casually watched the rest. But I could, Dean, I couldn't tell you what happened on it. Mm. I really, tell you. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm gonna do a show about lobbyists, and it's gonna be about people that uh, tear the tickets at movie theaters. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I want to bring up this, like uh, also with Tower, like I said, it does everything right. It could easily have been a gun control movie, and it's not. Mm. Uh, it, it 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 depoliticizes it. So anything you bring to it, you can read into it. Uh, if anything, when this started happening, the the police did not have uh, the necessary guns to combat someone three hundred feet up in the air. From a distance, um, and so a lot of people, when they heard the radio reports, got their deer rifles from their houses, and uh, basically like public vigilantes that started going there with their guns and, and rifles that could reach up there, and if anything, they they helped. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so the police were able to get up in the tower. Um, mm. So, so you know, it's it's a great movie. Um, 
here's some news. Hang on. I had a headline here that could be worthy of discussion. Uh, Sundance, they announced the slate at the next Sundance. And among the slate um, is a sequel to The Inconvenient Truth. Yeah, I, yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to a lot of these, yeah. What is this called now? M- more Inconvenient. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. I, I don't know. It might just be called Inconvenient Truth, too. Okay. Revenge of the Clumps. Has anybody seen the uh, – uh, maybe we talked about this, but did, did we see the, the Leo DiCaprio? Uh, yes. Before yeah, the flood? Yeah, we talked about it, I think. Okay. Yeah, we talked about it. Because <clears throat> that seems like the, the real sequel. <laughs> we also did – Yeah, that's about – he narrated a documentary many years ago, um, the thirteenth hour, the thirteenth hour, something, the thir- um, or the twenty seventh hour, or something. Um, remember, there was one that came out. It was a very good documentary. It was very alarmist and everything. It was very well done. But he had narrated yeah. one. This is, I think, two thousand seven or something. It was a good movie, though. It was good. But he actually stars in Before the Flood, and oh, he took okay. it, he well, took right. it to uh, he took it to Donald Trump last week, and Donald Trump promised to watch it. So. Well, let's hope he does. <laughs> um, they just screened uh, They just screened Alien Covenant footage And they said it was gory and scary as hell So it, it probably won't be the same movie As Prometheus It won't be as like uh, Cerebral sci-fi I think he's back yeah. to like primal sci-fi. It ain't gonna be So are we talking about I guess yesterday was the annual um, Harry Knowles button-on-a-thon thing Are we talking about They like screen that and, Like Kong of Skull Island And that sort of stuff there I think yesterday mm. I think that, that's uh, what we're talking about. It's okay. in Austin They do that every year He has like You know People uh-huh. come they, they watch They watched all silence yesterday Um but I think they watch, um, like, I think Alien Covenant and, Yeah, really. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't um, seem so, yeah. so weird. Yeah, we're, we're at a fan <laughs> convention. Let's do, let's watch some Alien Covenant and King Kong, followed by Silence. <laughs> 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 it's like a weird kind of... Yeah, it's, it's, they do it for Harry Knowles' birthday. It's his, it's, it's his birthday. They do it. So he does this thing where they show it's like 24 hours straight, I think. Of movie watching in Austin, so they've been doing it for a whole, I think, sixteen years now, sixteen or maybe longer. Um, we were chastised by someone for not talking, promoting it on our show many years ago. Um, but I was like, I'm not going to it. I mean, I didn't get invited, Whatever. so why should? Yeah, why should we promote it? I mean, you know, ain't it cool? Ain't it cool news? Like when they write a sentence that makes sense, I'm uh, then that reads eloquently. I am fucking amazed. They have they have promoted a a fifth grader mentality about movies. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, has been damaging. I agree. Uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't agree that. more. <laughs> and, and people people have taken it and ran, ran with it, and uh, and it has and it has uh, devolved the discussion of movies to like to just pure. Uh, you know, visceral enjoyment, uh, I guess, of it. You know, it was cool. Uh, you know, blech. Yeah. Holy shit, it burned my fucking eyeballs. I mean, that's... No, the best is, though, the best, I mean, the thing, the thing that I, if I do go, I mean, a lot of people, I don't even know people 
it's not as popular as it once was, but I do love when they when Harry does write something. Oh my God, they're cruel. Oh my God, those comments uh, they're hysterical to read, but do they eviscerate him? Oh my God, and these are the people to... that keep reading. Like if they were truly I know, pissed off, like, they... you just go to the comments. Just if you get a chance, go to the comments. It's just hysterical. I mean, they just rip yeah, I them know. And the I know, and that makes no sense to me. <laughs> well, no, of course. I mean, he's, I mean, it's. Uh, but you know, he, for better or for worse, he did. He opened up, and there's some some great sights came out of it. Some great things did come out of it. Others not so great, but some great things came out of it. I I I can't agree with that. <laughs> well, I mean, no. If you're talking oh, about if very, you're talking about if you're talking about Drew McQueenie and no, about no, no, uh, no, Devin no, no, Faraci, no, no, Devin Faraci comes from a different sensitive, and I'm and I'm not saying it's he's great, yeah. but I, look, I don't think, I mean, the success of that propelled gave all of us a platform, and we all came from various various things. But I do believe that because of that online dance sites and everything, those sites did give us a a, a pathway, if you will. I'm not gonna. I, okay, I guess. I you know, and that's what I'm saying. I mean. They did create the environment. I mean, regardless if you care about the source, but they did create an environment where we could thrive. We could um, provide. Well, I guess but they, they did were the pioneers yes. in the mid '90s. Those guys were the pioneers. Now about Drew McLeany, I I don't know what to make. A man who throws a hissy fit at Tom Hardy, I don't know what to make of that. Um, but um, you know, he he was very lucky early on. He got to write for Masters of Horror. I mean, a lot of these guys got to break into Hollywood, um, for you know, because of that. Um, some of them, Harry did not. Harry, I mean, I I guess Harry's not doing well if he's going on Kickstarter a lot. Um, but you know, I'm not saying like I, I think they're no. Obviously, the writing style is a, a fifth grade. Yes, obviously, but they did provide us, I think, with a for something that all of us could do this and do maybe a better job. I yeah. do think that was provided. The foundation was laid by them. Um, and I think we've definitely improved that in the last of the 10 years that we've been doing this. We've definitely improved the environment. Mm, I agree with that. Okay. I'm trying to find an article that contains 2017 movies. Well, I've got a, a you know, Hollywood Elsewhere you know Jeffrey Wells uh uh did a pretty good roundup of uh of you know a, a little bit more than 30 movies with uh some uh uh some some you know passing mentions of maybe 20 or 25 more um but uh and this is kind of late to be bringing this bringing this up but I mean, to me, you know, I mean, the 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 biggies are are you know, uh, you know, you can just name the directors. It doesn't even matter about the movies. But uh, Catherine Bigelow uh, has a um, has a movie about the 1967 Detroit riots coming out. Um, with uh, she's reteaming with her uh, uh, her writer Mark Bowl who. Uh, who she worked with on uh, Hurt Locker and uh, Zero Dark Thirty. Alexander Payne's got Downsizing, uh, which mm-hmm. really sounds uh, very interesting as a, a sci-fi movie. 
uh, <laughs> where where the cast is shrunk down. I have absolutely no idea how to how to process this or the Alexander Payne sci-fi movie with uh, with uh, shrunken people. But Matt Damon, uh, Christoph Waltz, uh, Kristen Wiig, Neil Patrick Harris, Alec Baldwin, Jason Sudeikis uh, in the leads. Of course, we got Paul Thomas Anderson uh, coming out with a new uh, uh, Daniel Day Lewis piece set in the uh, set in the fashion world uh, in London in the fifties. Um, Christopher Nolan has Dunkirk, mm-hmm. uh, so that that needs <laughs> needs to be. Boy, what I wonder how the Christopher Nolan fans are going to be able to process Dunkirk because this will be the first Christopher Nolan film that doesn't have kind of a sci-fi element to it. <laughs> you unless know, unless mean, he goes back in time. I mean, unless it's a time travel movie. <laughs> so no, it I'm looks good, to... though. i got to say it looks good. I mean, yeah. Looks well, good. I mean, you know, I, I rewatched Insomnia the other night, and I love that. He can, he can tell a straight drama. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, Insomnia and Memento aren't really sci-fi, so but uh so I guess that's a little unfair. But but this is definitely a different. I mean, it, this is not your your sort of edgy kind of movie. I mean, in, in if if anybody else was directing Dunkirk, the Christopher Nolan people would not go and see it. <laughs> I mean, it just would not be on their radar. So, uh but uh of course we've got the the uh the Blade Runner sequel. Mhm. Um which uh needs needs no more talk. <laughs> I mean uh and uh we've got the, the Winston Churchill uh movie with Gary Oldman absolutely looking like a best actor front runner already for next year. And uh well, from one we've called yeah, from one picture, which is exactly the same thing that happened with uh, with um, Matthew McConaughey with Dallas yeah. Buyers yeah. Club. One picture, and everybody was like, "All right, he's going to win it." But uh, Gary Oldman, you know, people love him and and uh, are waiting for him to to ascend to, to the Oscar throne. So, but the movie's called Darkest Hour, and the director is uh, Joe Wright. Um, the new Star Wars, of course. Which, by the way, I'm seeing Star Wars tomorrow at ten. Uh, You're lucky, man. I hope this. Yeah. I hope it goes better than last year. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, me too. Last year's was that was ridiculous. Uh, You're watching course, what? The, uh, the the star, the new Star Wars, the Rogue One. Oh. I'm seeing tomorrow. Okay. Um, so they they invite me to one. <laughs> They invite me to one big movie a year, so I'm going to it. Um, well, that's the one to do, then. That's the one big movie to do this now. I mean, yeah. Uh, Darren Aronofsky has a new movie coming out called Mother uh, with Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, it's a home invasion movie. Uh, so I don't know how I feel about that, but uh, I thought it was a I thought it was a remake of the uh, Albert Brooks movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um. Javier Bardem and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris, Dom Hall Gleason are also in it. Um, Steven Spielberg has the kidnapping of Ed, Eduardo Montera, 
made from a Tony Kushner screenplay with Oscar Isaac and Mark Rylance in it. Um, I'm not sure if that will be a really a 2017 release. We'll have to see. Um, Todd Haynes has Wonderstruck uh, with Julianne Moore. I don't know exactly what it's about. Julianne Moore, Michelle Williams uh, in the leads. Steven Soderbergh has Logan Lucky, uh, a comedy with uh, Rebecca Blunt uh, as the screenwriter. And the cast is uh, Adam Driver, Channing Tatum, Seth MacFarlane, Catherine Heigl, Hilary Swank, Catherine Waterston, who I love, and uh, Daniel Craig. So... Uh, we have the yeah, Chuck he, he really he 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 really never stayed away, did he? I mean, because he after he said he was retiring, he started directing the Nick, and now he's yeah. back to directing the movie. So so yeah, so but just like we said, on, I, I remember saying on the show, he's not going to retire. He can't do anything else. I mean, he, he, he so he just took a little break. He got tired of going through the motions of trying to get a movie made. So. I bet that's tiring. Uh, John Coran's movie about Chappaquiddick is coming out with, um, I don't know who's playing Ted Kennedy in this, but uh, the stars are Jason Clark, Kate Mara, and Ed Helms, of all people. Wow. I don't know what to expect with that. Uh, that could that could be a dud. Um, Richard Linkletter has Last Flag Flying. Uh, his sequel to The Last Detail, <laughs> which is pretty crazy. Wow. Uh, with Brian Cranston, I think, taking the Jack Nicholson role. Uh, um, and um, Lawrence Fishburne, I guess, taking taking uh, the Otis Young role. And uh, I guess, I don't know who's playing the Randy Craig role, <laughs> But I guess it's just Jay Quentin Johnson. Also, uh, Steve Carell is in it. So, uh, but is that unusual or what? That is. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Who would have ever expected this? But it is based on the original uh, writer, so Daryl Ponsikin's, uh novel. Uh, so um, I think he's the original writer of the first piece. So. Um, David Gordon uh, David Gordon Green, one of our favorites, uh, uh, has a uh, Boston Marathon bombing film coming out called Stronger, uh, mm-hmm. with Jake Gyllenhaal in the lead as the as the um, as one of the victims that lost his legs uh, in the blast. Uh, Tatiana Maslany and Miranda Richardson and Clancy Brown are also in it. Um, George Clooney has a new one called Suburbicon. Oh wow, uh, it's finally coming out. Yeah, with uh, directed by Clooney and, and written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. So that should be something interesting. Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, Josh Brolin, and Oscar Isaac. Uh, Oscar Isaac is always busy these days. Um, Guillermo del Toro has The Shape of Water. Um, which is described as an otherworldly story, no surprise there, set against the backdrop of a Cold War era America circa 1963. So that that is surprising. 
with uh, Sally Hawkins. I love her. Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, uh, Michael Stuberg, and uh, Octavia Spencer. So no no complaints with that cast. Uh, Dan Gilroy has Inner City. Denzel Washington playing a a lawyer uh, uh, that assumes the uh, assumes the head of his law firm and finds out that they're dealing dirty uh, against the poor and dispossessed. So uh, there's the Battle of the Sexes, um, the Billie Jean King Bobby Riggs movie with Emma Ooh. Stone and Steve Carell in the leads. That sounds very exciting. With uh, Elizabeth Shue, uh, Sarah Silverman, and Alan Cumming, and Andrea Riseborough in the supporting roles. Jason Reitman is coming back with Tully uh, and is reteaming with his Juno screenwriter, Diablo Cody. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't know how to feel about that, but it is Charlie's Theron, so I liked young adults better than, right. yeah. that could be, <laughs> better that could be than Juno. So hopefully that will be good. Um, Roman Polanski has a new movie coming out starring his uh, his wife, Emmanuel Siegner. As a uh, writer whose life and mind are endangered by an obsessive woman, played by Eva Green. So it's called Based on a True Story, and it, it has a screenplay by uh, Olivier Assayas. So that's interesting. Woody Allen's newest movie is a period piece set in uh, a 1950s amusement park. And. He's reteaming with Vittorio Storaro, which is really happy news. And this sounds interesting, I think. <laughs> I think this sounds good. With uh, Kate Winslet, Justin Timberlake, uh, Jim Belushi, Max Casella, and uh, Juno Temple. And Steve Sharippa, too, from, uh, from The Sopranos. Sopranos. <laughs> so that's, that's cool. Uh, two Sopranos people in this. Max Casella is in Sopranos as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, our friend James Ponsolt uh, has The Circle coming out, and I saw the oh, interview yeah. for this. And that looks, I think that looks really good. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it does, yeah. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks is kind of a uh, Steve Jobs type character that is introducing a uh, a, I guess, something to. Uh, it it, it looks like some kind of like uh, meta kind of version of the Google Glasses thing (laughs) but I don't know what to to make of it yet but it does look very interesting Uh, Emma Watson uh, John Boyega, Patton Oswalt and Bill Paxton are in the cast so that sounds good Finn Vendors has a new one with uh, Submergence with Alicia Vikander and James McAvoy um, I'm kind of looking forward to that James McAvoy movie that uh, that uh, uh, M Night uh, Shyamalan Ding Dong's doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Split, split. Yeah, yeah. That could be good. That could be actually good for a change. I mean, yeah, it, it looks good to me. Uh, I don't know. It looks very entertaining. Um, let's see. Alex Garland has a uh, who did uh, you know Ex Machina uh, has Annihilation coming out. Uh, uh, with Natalie Portman as a, uh, um, uh, 
and uh, Jennifer Jason Lee. Um, it's a sci-fi movie, I think. Um, and let's see. Of course, we mentioned Greta Gerwig has her movie Lady Bird coming out, uh, which sounds very, uh, very autobiographical since it's Sacramento-based, which is where she came from. Uh, it's about a young girl preparing to leave home and embark on her own life. But she's not in it. Uh, it's Saoirse Ronan as in, in the lead uh, with Laurie Metcalf, Tracy Letts, our favorite uh, supporting actor, and Lucas Hedges, who's coming off of uh, Manchester by the Sea. So uh, that sounds good. We also have uh, Michael Haneke coming up with Happy Ending, which I'm mm-hmm. sure is going to be... <laughs> A uh, a uh, misnomer in terms of this <laughs> this director, but it's a it's a family drama. All that's been re- been released on it about it is that it's a family drama that uh, touches on the European immigrant crisis. Uh, but it has Isabelle Huppert, uh, Jean Louis Trintignant, uh, Matthew Kasovitz, uh in the leads. Uh, Andrew Sorkin has a new one called Molly's Game. You know, if uh, if Michael Haneke's uh, films were all had the all had you know titles that were faithful to their material, they'd all be called "Kill Yourself." <laughs> <laughs> they would be. They would be like, write the note, <laughs> turn on the gas, uh, you know, sharpen the knives. Uh, Danny Boyle's Train Spotting sequel looks fantastic. Yeah, oh, good. I think. I mean that that looks great. I I think that 2017 is going to be a better year because you know you hear all these names. I mean, and I'm not even mentioning you know Lars von Trier has a new one coming out called The House That Jack Built. There's a new one by Tomas Alfredson, the director of uh, Let the Right One In, called The Snowman. There's a new Lim Ramsey. You were never really here. there's a, a new Edgar Wright, Baby Driver. There's a new Sofia Coppola, uh, Coppola, which is her remake of The Beguiled with, uh, with uh, uh, who is it? Colin Farrell, and um, I know that Kirsten Dunst is in it. But there's a few other, uh, I can't remember all the, I think one of the Fannings, Elle Fanning is in it. Um uh, Doug Lyman has American Made coming out. Noah Baumbach has a very unusually titled movie called Yin Din Kakissa. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, it's going to be a very and, busy fall, from what you're saying. It's going to be a very busy fall. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, you know, uh, and, uh, and of course, a new Terrence Malick, uh, Weightless. Uh, with Ryan Gosling and Christian Bale, Natalie Portman, Runa Mara, uh, Kate Blanchett, Val Kilmer, Benicio del Toro, and Michael Fassbender. Who knows who'll make it in the final cut? But um, and then of course we cannot forget what is probably going to be the film event of the year, even though it won't be taking place on the big screen. It will be David Lynch's Twin Peaks series. Which That's true. He's He's directing every episode, so we've been starved for some new Lynch for a long time, and this looks like it's going to overstuff us uh, to our heart's content. Yeah, I wonder when that. I wonder when that will premiere. That would be interesting. You know what else? They um, HBO hasn't announced it. Um, 
when they're premiering their Madoff movie with De Niro and Michelle Pfeiffer, the Barry Levinson movie. Yeah. I, I, I'm i curious about that. I don't know if a lot of people saw the Madoff movie that came out this year on the, um, uh, on the networks, I believe. I forgot which network did it, but the one with um, uh, Richard Dreyfuss playing Bernie Madoff is actually pretty good. <laughs> it's not a bad movie. It actually got nominated for a Writers Guild Award this year with a lot of uh, heavy hitters uh, alongside it. So hopefully hopefully people will go and take a look at that one as well because it's, it's pretty good. Um, but so, I mean, I have to say, you know, I'm very – uh, just listening to all of those names that I just went through, uh, 2017 already sounds better than 2016. So, yeah. movie-wise. If we're still around to see them. <laughs> oh, I, I think we, I, I hope so. I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't, it shouldn't take, it should take a while. Um, <laughs> I don't know. No, I, dude, I feel I'm with you there. I don't know either. We may not. I mean, uh. <laughs> all right. Well, well, final thought on that. On that uh, note, you know, once the ballots for Oscars go out and everything, um, do you think that uh, Russia will be able to fudge the, pro- the, the process in any way? <laughs> Who knows? Who fucking knows? Are, are we? Are we? Come February, when the Oscars are handed out, are we actually just going to be seeing Putin's picks? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Alexander Nevsky's not in the running this year, so I mean. <laughs> Shining just for me City of stars There's so much that I can't see Who knows I felt it from the first embrace I shared with you
Star. You never shine.